The following presentation is brought to you through the power of science. Shiny. Welcome to Generations Geek, a family-friendly celebration of geekdom by father-daughter television network executives. I'm science fiction writer Scott Pearson, and I'm joined, as always, by my daughter. Hello. And we are two generations of geek. This is episode 17, Geek TV, and we'll be talking about some of the geeky TV shows we both love, both on the air now, and some shout-outs to older shows we're currently re-watching. But first, a program note. Dedicated listeners might have noticed that this episode is not an interview with Ilsa J. Bick, as previously announced. My current work schedule threw a spanner in that. But don't despair, Ilsa fans. She'll be on our late March show. Before we get started, I want to remind our listeners to follow us on Twitter and Facebook and visit GenerationsGeek.com, which provides handy links to all of our shows on the Chronic Rift Network. Send any questions to thegeeks at GenerationsGeek.com. Now, on with the show. We are really in a renaissance of geek programming lately, with all the various cable channels competing for, for an audience that seems to have taken over the world. <laughs> the geeks have inherited the earth, and all the networks are trying to program to us. There's far more TV on than we could keep up with. Oh, yeah. And and uh-huh. it seems like every day there's an announcement of a new genre show coming on, a new superhero show, a new, you know, whatever. They're, they're all over the place. So we're just going to talk about some of our favorites that we are currently watching. We're going to start out with Almost Human. With the lovely Carl Urban, writer of <laughs> Rohan and Space Doctor. His genre cred is just starting to blow my mind. You know, when I'm watching him as Aomer or McCoy or now the new character whose name name escapes me on almost John. human John I just he's get always these, perfect too you know he's a great actor and and the characterizations are distinct but nevertheless I <laughs> I can't help but like picturing one character turning up in the role of the other his role as McCoy was just so similar to DeForest Kelly's interpretation. It's amazing. His character of John on Almost Human is is kind of gruff as well. So those are perhaps (laughs) the closest. But when I see him now in Lord of the Rings, in the back of my head, I'm thinking, I'm a writer of the mark, not a doctor. You know, some sort of crossover (laughs) joke. I can't help it. Uh, But let's talk about Almost Human. I really like it. I've been really impressed by it, um, how it just... the moment it started, it was just off and had all these just like little touches. And what's really interesting about the show is every cop has an android partner. And what's most intriguing is the way they interact with humans. Mm-hmm. The police officers treat their MXs like it's just a computer. But then um, when John gets his partner... It's a previous model that was built to be a lot more like a human. Yeah, and those models were discontinued because they were relatively successful at being more human, and so they were more uh, unpredictable. Yeah, because they they had emotions. Yeah, and so they were discontinued, but for various reasons that we won't spoil, he ends up with one of those. The the main character, John, has this kind of grudge against the MXs because he was trying to save his partner and an MX basically ditched him. 
because it needed to save other people. That was the rational, logical thing to do. And so he doesn't really like them. Yeah. And so he treats Dorian, his android partner, especially at the beginning, very like gruffly, like MX off. And then Dorian's immediately like, MX off. Does that mean you want me to be quiet? And just <laughs> the way they interact. The other thing I like about it is it doesn't sugarcoat the bad stuff that's going on. No, not at all. But it also isn't a completely depressing dystopian future. There's room for hope. It's almost like uh, racial discrimination in the show between yeah. the humans and the MXs. And it's just really interesting to watch because Dorian's almost the secondary main character. Like, And so it's very interesting to see him interacting with the other MXs. They're built to be walking computers. They yeah. don't interact like other people do. And I have to take a little bit of a pot shot at J.J. Abrams because it's it's from J.J. Abrams' company. That was one of the reasons I was a little nervous about it. No lens flares, though, so that's good. But it's not a hands-on J.J. Abrams creation. There's another guy that created it, and I think you can tell the difference because J.J. is a great idea guy, but his stuff doesn't come together in a cohesive way. The guy who created this is a little bit more detail-oriented in that way, so the show really holds together and there are mysterious elements, but you feel like it all makes sense. Whereas with a JJ production, often it can be entertaining, but when you think about it, you think, wait a minute, how does that piece fit into that piece? Does that even make sense? Does, is, is any of this going to tie up? Well, and it's also very, it can be very uh, emotionally wrenching, but then there are also yeah. moments where you could start laughing, and it's just so, it can be so funny and so serious. What usually happens is they're in the car on their way to a crime scene, and Dorian would call him man. Like, he'd say something and then end it with man. And he'd be like, what? Don't call me man. What are you doing? And he'd be like, I'm just running my, you know, speech, whatever, dude. Like, calm down. It's really funny. They make great use of the traditional cop show motifs. And then it has the added twist that one of them is an android. And these sort of things have been done before, cops and androids and stuff. But not but, to this extent. But, but this is a really good use of all those elements. Perhaps this would be a good time to compare and contrast with another show we're watching, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I've been liking Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., but as I skim through the interwebs, there's a lot of hate being thrown at Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., and for the most part... Ex unless you're in the Fitzsimmons tag on Tumblr. <laughs> yeah. Where it's like uh, the the Fitzsimmons tag is known for being just like the nicest place. Like no one ever <laughs> fights. It's great. It's fantastic. I can't really disagree with any of the criticisms. Most of my problems with it actually are more the way they... Because there was an episode barely halfway through... The first season, which we're still, I mean, we're still in the first season, but before the holiday break. And it was a really heart-wrenching, emotionally terrible, I mean, and by terrible, I mean morbidly fantastic episode. <laughs> and then you, when you watch that episode, then you're expecting so much more from the next one. And mm -hmm. then... It, it lets you down. They're the two, like, scientists, nerd geeks, and they're always, like, really in sync and finishing each other's sentences and stuff. And so all the characters who just refer to them as Fitzsimmons, both their last names just as one. And that episode really delved into their relationship and was really heartbreaking when you thought that 
they were gonna lose each other, then nothing happened. Yeah. In the next episode about like they didn't talk about it or like anything. They didn't even like they barely referenced it. They like made they made some like awkward joke and everybody was kinda like, huh, yeah, okay. Yeah, I think that's one of the key problems of the show is it either is fluttering along the surface as an adventure show without any of that kind of emotional depth. And then when the emotional depth does come up, then it disappears rather quickly and you don't get a sustained story arc with it. And It was one of the most powerful episodes I've ever seen that early on in the season. I thought it was more powerful than even like their mid-season finale, which I almost wished they had switched those episodes around. <laughs> it's really a muddled show in many ways because Agent Coulson is sort of the anchor for the show, and he's been given this mysterious backstory but then you don't get so a lot of Coulson in the show. A lot of the show is then shifted onto the younger agents. Well, I think it's I think they're trying to revolve it around around Sky, who's yeah. not really a shield agent. She's like a hacker. I don't think the show has gelled, and I find it likable, nevertheless, in a shallow way. I enjoy watching it every week. Yeah. But it really doesn't have the payoff that you'd be hoping for it's always on right before supernatural and it's just the runner-up just like practicing to get ready for the inevitable death and destruction that's going to be in the newest <laughs> supernatural episode well let's talk a little about supernatural then this is not a family friendly show <laughs> no not particularly so, uh, depending on the episode the first season and a half was really creepy <laughs> Because I've talked with other people about this, too, and maybe it's just one of those things that's like you get used to it after a season and a half, or yeah. it just is creepier. I don't know. I remember one time I was watching it in my room, and um, I had looked away from the screen for a second, and I reached over and paused it without looking because I was going to get up and leave. And I paused it right as this surprise monster appears, and so I look over, and there's this monster on the screen that I wasn't expecting, and I was like, whoa! Like, <laughs> and then I like ran out of my room, and I was like, Gah. They do a good job, though, of balancing all the darkness with a lot of uh, humorous elements yeah. that, that l make it a little bit less depressing. Unless you're going to watch it. Like, I remember when I was first watching it, because they've, they're in their ninth season now. And so um, when I was watching all the previous seasons on Netflix, it's like I'd be watching it and watching it and watching it. After a while, it's just like, oh, man. And then I'd go and watch like some like sit sitcom <laughs> so that I wouldn't feel like... Just hopeless. <laughs> but it's great. As long as we're talking about depressing, apocalyptic, family-unfriendly shows, I think we have to give a shout-out to The Walking Dead. <laughs> it's currently in its mid-season break, but we just love that show, don't we? It's amazing. It makes me think, a show like, say, Grey's Anatomy, which is allegedly a real-world show, but... To give it all sorts of pop and drama, it has incredibly over-the-top, outrageous things yeah, happen in Grey's Anatomy. Yeah, my friend recently made me watch a couple episodes, and she chose the most, like, I mean, just like everyone died. If I want over-the-top melodrama and character interactions, I I'd rather see it in a genre show. You like want it to be intermixed with Walking zombies. Dead. <laughs> in a strange way, The Walking Dead almost seems more realistic to me than Grey's Anatomy. Yeah. The Walking Dead doesn't kill, like, everybody at once. <laughs> like, not everybody gets shot and, like, covered with blood. We always watch the show on Sunday nights, and it's so intense. One morning after, I said something to Mom about it, and she was like, 
yeah, I can hear you guys screaming. (laughs) Yeah. And then, of course, right afterwards, you've got The Talking Dead hosted by Chris Hardwick. And then Chris Hardwick also has his new show at midnight, which uses the Twitterverse quite well. Oh, yes. I've only watched one episode of At Midnight, and it was... I watched all of them on Hulu because I love Chris Hardwick. It was the one where two of the guests were regulars from Bob's Burgers, so it was a great oh my gosh. geeky overlap. Well, it's overlap. just so funny. What happens is he'll pull something up from the internet, and then the three contestants will like tweet jokes about it. And it ends up being really, really funny. And some, I mean, the most, the outrageous things you can find on the internet to joke about are just the best. And then Chris Hardwick also will crack jokes and he's really funny. So My close personal friend. Yeah. I say that because one time I got into a Twitter conversation with Chris Hardwick in the middle of the night and it was uh, fun and hilarious to suddenly He hasn't replied to any of my tweets yet. Be exchanging... Well, you're probably scaring them off. You're, I'm not scaring them you're off. Like a, they're like a if stalker. Anything, if anything, I should have scared Misha Collins off that one day. I replied to like every single one of his tweets yeah. and he didn't answer Well, he anything. never responded. Yeah, either. So you've scared <laughs> both Chris Hardwick and Misha I went Collins. Back, I was like, man, I like, <laughs> I like tweeted like seven times at him like right after he tweeted something. And then I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to delete those now. I'm ashamed of my fangirl <laughs> tendencies sometimes. <laughs> so those are the geekiest shows that we are currently watching the real true genre shows but there are a few other shows that fall within the the geek universe for various reasons perhaps the one that needs the the first mention is psych it's ostensibly a detective show but it is loaded with geeky references to sci-fi movies horror movies all the movies of the 1980s yeah. <laughs> they bring on a lot of guest stars. Because the main characters are just like these couple of dorks. <laughs> because and... the, the, the main characters are geeks. That's the yeah. thing. Especially Gus, who it has recently been revealed is a crazy over-the-top Harry Potter fan. <laughs> uh, a couple years back, well, maybe more than a couple years back, they did a werewolf episode. And <laughs> yeah. they had one of the guest stars in the episode was uh, David Naughton, who starred in... An American Werewolf in London. They had Molly Ringwald in an episode. The Shat Chat, the Shatner. I almost forgot to mention that. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Any show that has the Shat on it becomes an honorable geek show. When you're talking about geek characters, Parks and Rec, it's a sitcom. It's got nothing to do with science fiction or anything, but one of the main characters, Ben Wyatt, is a total uber nerd. Oh my gosh, it's so great. And they have a lot of fun with that because he'll start designing uh, ridiculous role-playing games yeah. <laughs> trying to do stop-motion animation. And <laughs> there was that one episode where he ended up in a bat suit, a Batman yeah, suit, because yeah. he was Treat moping yourself. around. There, and then uh, his friends were like, well, what what do you want? And then it cut and he just like walks out of this changing room with the full like Batman like costume yep, the black, on. Uh, the like modern day Batman, not Adam West Batman. Yeah. He's in the, the dark, you know, the black suit. I'm sure it's got a huge crossover audience, even though it's not inherently a geeky show. And oh, it's and really it, funny, too. It's something that all geeks should be watching. And I'm sure it went kind of viral. So you've if you haven't watched Parks and Rec and you're a geek... You've still probably nevertheless seen Patton Oswalt's uh, famous uh, Star Wars rant that he did. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's so great. As a guest shot on the show. 
Or like when they were in London and Andy kept being like, oh, wow, this is so cool. We're seeing Hogwarts. And then yeah. Ben's like, you know that Hogwarts isn't real, right? <laughs> it's important to me that you know that Hogwarts isn't real. Another show that I think falls into the Geekiverse because it's animated, Bob's Burgers. I think Bob's Burgers is the most realistic family-based sitcom in the history of television. <laughs> Even oh though it's animated. Oh my gosh. It kills me. The interaction between the kids and between the kids and the parents and the shenanigans that happen at school. I can't even handle like, talking about it. I want to start laughing. <laughs> they have two daughters and a son, and one of their da- the, the oldest daughter is completely introverted and awkward. And then the second oldest daughter, Louise, is like this criminal mastermind. And she'll just scream these completely bizarre things. Oh my gosh. It's a brilliant show. And Bob is voiced by the same guy who voices Archer, another brilliant animated show that we won't really talk about much because it's incredibly family unfriendly. (laughs) This brings us to the last of our geek shows that we have to mention that's not strictly speaking a genre show, Sherlock. And you've just gone into your glazed over... Benny C look on your face. (laughs) If this was a video show, (laughs) you know what I'm talking about. I was just thinking about, I love the Mind Palace scenes so much. I think the Mind Palace scenes are getting a bit long, though. I I don't care. I would shorten them up. It was great. It's so surreal. I can't spoil anything because we we watched it on a live stream and it hasn't aired in the U.S. It's aired on the U.S. for people who have BBC America. Well, yeah. It's starting up on PBS soon, so we're not going to ruin anything. on Tumblr. But we're not going to condone downloading episodes of shows from the internet, though. We are a a non-streaming is a gray area. Downloading generally, that's just shouldn't be done, kids. It's definitely an honorary geek show for a variety of reasons, especially... I'm not even honorary. Obviously, there's a big crossover audience between Sherlock Holmes stuff and geeks for various reasons. But, you know, it's not science fiction, it's not fantasy or whatever, so that's what, that's what I mean when I kind of say it's not but really a geek show. But he's super smart and is always experimenting. And the uh, stars of the show are Smog and Bilbo, so... Yeah. So where can you go wrong, really? I mean, you can't. It's like a bad roomy sitcom, like yeah. a dragon and a hobbit living in one apartment. <laughs> what could wah, possibly wah. go wrong? It's like the fake supernatural sitcom. I was a little disappointed with the third season, I must say. It I was... can't decide. I can't legitimately very... form an opinion after having waited for so long. Yeah, I want to watch it again. Sherlock so much, I can't. The first couple of episodes particularly are hugely character-driven. Never trust the Moftis. And not much plot. And so there's the... a lot of individual scenes that are well, very... Well, and the creators have been talking about how, you know... The show's not really about the mysteries they're solving. It's about the characters. And I agree, but it's yeah. still like... You still need the framework of a mystery those, to have a And it's their life. Plot. It's Sherlock's entire life is yeah. doing that kind of yeah. stuff. And Although there were a lot of individual scenes that were very satisfying from a character point of view, it, it, it they didn't quite gel for me as episodes. I think I'll enjoy them the second time I watch them. But then by the third episode, you get into a very intricately plotted traditional Sherlock episode that has a pretty good payoff for the final episode of the series. So I'm glad that it 
ended on a and Molly Hooper st- stronger rules. note. I really am loving the Molly Hooper character, who continues to have a uh, very interesting relationship with Sherlock. She's always been kind of bird-like and not yeah. really very confident. But then if like if you cross the Molly, she's watch out. Oh man, she's she's coming into her own. Yeah. And Malstrad all the way. <laughs> Hashtag Malstrad. Ship all the ships. In addition to the shows that are still ongoing series, we wanted to give shout-outs to some older shows, a little retro watch, where through the miracle of the interwebs and such, you can watch older TV series. I just recently started watching Pushing Daisies. Because a blog I follow on Tumblr was talking about it, and oh my gosh, I can't, I can't even. It's It stars Lee Pace, who is, of course, the king of the Greenwood, and... What does that mean? He, he was uh, Thranduil in the, the Hobbit movies. I completely did not make that connection. You can tell because of the eyebrows. It's how you spot him. Wow. That just blew my mind. The only thing I ever saw Lee Payson was The Hobbit as Thranduil, who's kind of dark and tall and, like, threatening. And you go from this creepy elf king to this over-the-top, adorable pie maker. Like, I don't even know what to do. I can't. It's like, it's not fair. I'm assuming that a lot of our core geek audience out there knows this show, but... Strangely, I haven't watched it. I didn't watch it while I was on. I caught one episode, and I was amazed by it. And so I don't know why I didn't get back into watching it. The surprising thing about this show is that it ever got on the air in the first place, because it is so quirky. It is so off the wall. It's just so unlike anything else I've ever seen. Yeah, and it's got songs in it. Yeah. They have the They've amazing two, Kristen like, Chenoweth. They've Broadway stars, and, and so every once in a while, they'll just start singing. Like Yeah, Kristen Chenoweth, and then it also has Ellen Green, who was in Little Shop of Horrors. Little Shop, Little Shop of Horrors. Uh-huh. Little, little musical shop interlude of there for you. <laughs> and so they belt out a, a number every now and then, and it's got fabulous voiceover narration. Since Pushing Daisies, there's been a lot of other shows that have yeah. voiceover narration. But Pushing Days, is, I think, was ahead of the curve it's, on that. It's amazing. It's almost the way they go about just telling the story almost makes it seem like, like a bedtime story or a fairy tale yeah. or something. Just And it's like everything is pretty much normal except for the main character, Ned, can bring things back to life. With his touch. The plot of the show is that he partnered up with this private detective because of his gift and so they will go to inspect bodies but instead of just looking over the wounds he just touches them and they come back to life he then has a minute to get them to tell him who they were murdered by and then if they stay alive for more than a minute something else has to die to take their place but then if he touches them again then they're dead forever what happens if he touches a person who's alive? Nothing unless he had touched them before and uh, when they were dead. The show has that one supernatural conceit, 
and then the rest of it is just very quirky. And everything's like very bright and colorful and he uses his gift in his pies. Part of the reason his pie shop is so successful is because he gets all these rotten moldy fruits but then as soon as he touches them they're just like these perfect succulent <laughs> fruits again and then he can use those in his pies as long as they touch them again because then they'll die. But So he can't eat his pies but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> And my retro watch shout-out is going to go to the Twilight Zone. You can watch the whole series through Hulu, and this show holds up so amazingly well. Rod Serling's storytelling abilities, everything is just so crisp and clean and tight. He tells more of a story in a half an hour than some people could tell in two hours. And yeah, I remember watching it at uh, Grandma's. Yeah. That's it, where it, I usually watch it, and it's just amazing. You know, the great actors come on, and, and, it, you know, and it's all very character-driven. And the genre elements are often very uh, subtle because it's not, um, you know, it was a weekly show. It didn't have a huge budget, uh, so they couldn't build all sorts of fancy sets. Well, it's almost like karma. You know, Joe Smith hated everyone and wished he could be the only person on Earth. But when he (laughs) was the only person on Earth, he got depressed and killed himself. Yeah, (laughs) it often has that morality tale element to it that a lesson is learned by someone and it's a show that just continues to work. I think a lot of younger people that might have trouble watching something in black and white, I think they'd really be surprised if they sat down and really started watching some of these shows because there's almost always an unexpected twist that'll throw you for a loop. And Rod Serling was doing this you know, decades and decades ago. So many shows now owe some of their plot twists <laughs> to to yeah. the mind of Rod Serling because he was uh, really good at telling these concise, crisp stories through such great dialogue. There are so many shows, so many individual episodes I could give a shout out to that I'm not even going to start because you just can't even summarize it. We've done something almost unforgivable. What's that? We've forgotten about Doctor Who. What were we thinking? <laughs> I don't know. How did we... How did we... Uh... I was sitting here like, what's another like retro show? And then I was like, Doctor Who? And then I was like, wait. Well, maybe because it's been on such a long break. But then, of course, we just saw the we just, Christmas we, episode. The, the, and... the Christmas episode that tears oh, out your heart. Oh, so I'm surprised that Matt Smith hasn't walked into our house right yeah. now and slapped us. <laughs> and waved his long, gangly arms at us in a frenetic way. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well then let's round out this uh, show with talking a little bit about the Doctor. I'm so excited for Peter Capaldi. He's so intense. Because I think he's, yeah, I think he's going to bring some really interesting energy to it. His regeneration was like the fastest, like it was just so alarming. Yeah. Because there's a point in the episode where you expect it to be him walking out and then it's Matt again. Yeah. And then you're kind of like, what's going on? And then it's like, he sneezes. And then it's and then Capaldi's Kaboom. like staring at Clara. I think somebody on Tumblr said that they thought that he was using her eyes as mirrors when he was like walking towards her super <laughs> intensely. And I was like, oh, that explains why he was being so uh, creepy stalkery. Okay. <laughs> He's so intense. And I've been in a, watching. In a, in, a, in a good way, which sounds strange. <laughs> but, uh, you know. I've been watching one of his previous shows recently. 
Where they swear that every is two seconds. the most family-unfriendly show <laughs> in the history of British television, perhaps. Uh, it's called The Thick of It. It's a political... It, it's like the British version of the West Wing, except with uh, R-rated language every fourth word. <laughs> it's a very brutally realistic <laughs> show that's uh, not for everyone and certainly not for uh, anyone under the age of 16 or even perhaps under the age of 21. I saw a gift <laughs> from that show and Capaldi was in like like outside the White House and he like said something and was swearing and then some guy was like, hey, you know, buddy, just chill it on the curse words, okay? And he was like, bleep, bleep, bleep. No, I won't bleepity bleep. And then he like ran down the street and I was like, what, what are you even doing, Peter Capaldi? Watching that show and watching his performance, which is so intense and so angry. I mean, that's that his character in there is just such an angry, driven character. And just watching the his commitment to that character in that show makes me excited for the kind of commitment that he will bring to the Doctor. The best Doctors are the ones that grew up watching Doctor Who, and it's like their mm, dream role. Mm, yeah, David a... Tennant, mm -hmm. when he was in school, like people would ask ask him what he wanted to do when he was little. He'd be like, oh, I want to be the Doctor on Doctor Who, and then yeah. he was. It's and crazy. He... I think it's going to be a nice shift, because we've had now, since Doctor Who came back, We've it's had mostly... Increasingly younger in, actors, yeah. I think. Matt Smith was the youngest Doctor ever. In the original incarnations of Doctor Who, the Doctor often was an elderly person. And so throwing back to that, I think, is going to be a good change. I'm also hoping that bringing in someone like Capaldi, that the show will be a little bit more serious and edgy. I mean, I, I really enjoy Matt Smith and David Tennant. I, I, well, the and they had... Done, they had parts where they were very and were, yeah they certainly had dark, episodes yeah. that were dark but their overall character particularly matt smith was very light and and, and goofy and silly and well and it is still it's a children's show it's a children's really. show but but the audience has widened you know we've done the young doctor we've done the young goofy silly doctor now, now let's have a doctor an that's older darker doctor. older a little bit darker a little bit more serious but It'll still be funny, and Capaldi certainly has a, a way with uh, being funny, even if he is I mean, he, he was already funny darker. in his, I mean, what, what did he have, like two lines? He was, yeah. <laughs> I have kidneys. I don't like the color. Are <laughs> the color of your kidneys? The thing that I would love to see, although it'll probably never happen because on one level it would just be so wrong since Doctor Who is a family show, but I want to see a blooper, an outtake, a, a, a gag where the Doctor goes off on Clara the way the character from The Thick of It goes off on people. Oh, yeah, we're all waiting for that. A profanity-laced tirade of epic proportions. Been, there have be very... been gifts of Capaldi with captions filled with profanity since uh, it was announced that he was going to be the next Doctor. Everybody's and been like... Intercutting it with shots of yeah. Clara and, and yeah. stuff? Okay. I, should, I should have realized that the internet would have already taken care of this. Because that's <laughs> what we great. geeks do. <laughs> We've bleeping time traveled, yeah? <laughs> that's all the time we have for this episode. Tune in next month for episode 18, A Geek on Mars. We'll be talking with author Andy Weir about his debut novel, The Martian. 
Remember that Generations Geek is a part of the Chronic Rift Network, which broadcasts from the canals of a terraformed Mars. Please give their other fine podcasts a listen at chronicrift.com. Thanks for listening, and come, come back, back next time. time. No geeks were harmed in the making of this podcast. Ooh, shiny. <laughs>